Good morning, church and guests. It is so good to have you here. I want to remind you that we've got a threefold purpose here at Woods Edge. Love Jesus, journey together, bring hope to the world. Love Jesus, that means that we get along with the Lord, Bible study and prayer, and draw close to Him. I want to love Him like He's never been loved before. It means that we gather weekly like this morning to seek Him, worship Him together. And it means that we give generously, gladly, because it's a privilege, a bloodstained cross. A journey together, that's groups, that's home church groups, all kind of groups. That's how we bring church home. We gather to know Christ better because we cannot know Christ like we ought alone. We gather to care for one another, to care be cared for, and we gather to serve Christ together outside. Then bring hope to the world. That includes things like the top five list. That's five people that God's put on our heart that we want to pray daily for that may not yet know Christ. It includes making disciples. That's simply, that's the Great Commission. It's simply this, whatever we do to help lost people come to faith and whatever we do to help believers grow in their faith. All of us are part of that. And it also includes everything that Woods Edge does to show compassion, share the gospel, rather right here around the world, things like the orphan care ministry that we just talked about earlier. So that's what we're all about as a church. Love Jesus, journey together, and bring hope. Now yesterday, as we all know, was Veterans Day, and we want to, uh, we feel this way about it, that there are untold millions of people, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who live in countries where there's not the freedom to worship God. And we don't take that for granted. And we have those freedoms and other freedoms because of brave men and women who served around the world. And so if you have served in our armed forces or currently serving, I'd like to ask you to stand and to remain standing while we express our appreciation and gratitude as a grateful nation. Please stand with me. Keep standing, not done with you yet. Uh-uh, Phil, I ain't done yet. Let me pray over you. Lord, every single one of these men and women, we thank you for them. We thank you for their serving and their sacrifice. Lord, we pray for them that you would bless them in every way, whatever's going on in their lives and hearts, their families. Lord, any current soldiers who are around the world who are in harm's way, we pray your protection. Lord, bless these folks. Thank you for their sacrifice. We pray together in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We're going to pray together the Lord's Prayer. So with all your heart, full voice, would you please pray with me now? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Lord God, 
you have no rival. You have no equal. Lord, there's not anybody that could even be compared to you because you're the incomparable, vastly superior, infinite, holy God. And Lord, now and forever you reign as we've just sung. Lord, the name of Jesus is beautiful, it's wonderful, it's powerful. Lord God, you are the, the omnipotent, omniscient, immutable, unchanging God, and you love us. And you've sent your own son to die in our place. Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. We worship you. Lord God, we want to pray for our fellow churches, but this weekend, Lord, we want to pray particularly for First Baptist and Sutherland Springs that you would bring more grace and peace to that church family, to those folks who lost loved ones than they could ever imagine. Be with them. Lord, we pray for these two orphan care ministries that Eric talked about. Journey for a joyful life. Love fosters hope, Lord God. We know what, uh, what the orphan means to you, your heart. And we pray that you'd bless these ministries. And all the folks at Woods Edge who are involved with orphan care, foster care, all kind of ministries, bless them. Now, Father, we want to tell you this morning that we recognize and acknowledge and declare that you are the living God. You're right here with us, and we bow in your presence. And we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, because we want to love you more. We want to see you in your glory. Teach us. Show us your great glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, church, are you stand with me? I'm going to read the passage today. We are in Ephesians 5, coming to the fifth of five messages on marriage. I know some of you are thinking it's about high time he finishes this series on marriage. It'll happen today, Lord willing. We're in verse 31, last three verses of the passage, chapter 5, 31 through 33. It's hard for me to express, church, the burden that I have that every marriage at Wood's Edge, any future marriages at Wood's Edge, would grow stronger and be all that God would want them to be, and that God bring healing to those that are struggling. Here is today's passage from the Word of God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Church, this is God's holy word. Please be seated. Way back in Genesis 2, God creates Eve and brings her to Adam like a father giving away a bride. He's exuberant, to say the least. And after that event, God gives us a summary, a one-line summary of the heart of marriage. Genesis 2.24. And this is what God says about marriage. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That quote is quoted four times in the New Testament, twice by Jesus, twice in Paul's writings, including in our passage today. Now, when we're reading this passage in the book of Genesis, as far as we know, this just refers to Adam and Eve and human marriages. 
uh, and it certainly refers to that. But 1,400 years after it was written, Paul takes up pen and paper inspired by the Holy Spirit to talk about marriage, and he quotes this and tells us there is a deeper level to it than human marriage. That, in fact, the main point of this passage refers to the marriage of God and His people. In the Old Testament, to God and the people of Israel, and in the New Testament, to Christ and the church, to us. That, in fact, the heart of this passage, the real meaning of this passage, is not human marriage, but it is sacred romance, the love story between God and His people. Isn't it interesting that this thread of marriage as a metaphor for God's relationship with us runs through the Bible? God takes the closest of all human relationships, marriage, and He says, this is the way I relate to you. Did you think ever that this was about religion, that this was about do's and don'ts? Uh, it is so far from that. It is love story. It is a God. What was the line in one of those songs? Our sin was great. Your love was greater. That is the gospel. And that is the Bible story. And that's what marriage points to in the Bible. So in Genesis 2, when we're reading along and see that first marriage, and now we know what it's about, we see that the saving work of Christ on the cross was in the heart of God in Genesis 2.24. That the deeper meaning was Christ's love for the church, for His bride. If you are married or if you will one day be married, understand the main thing about your marriage is to be a picture and a pointer to the way God loves His people. That trumps everything else about marriage. And that changes everything, the way we look at marriage. Now, in Ephesians 5, when Paul is writing along about, a fee, about marriage, he's talking about human marriage, but in the back of his mind is Genesis 2.24 the whole time. And when he gets to verse 28, the passage we saw last week, it moves from the back of his mind to the front of his mind. And this is what he says. Just picture Genesis 2.24 in Paul's mind here. He says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, because he's already talked about we're one flesh. He who loves his wife loves himself. He goes on, for no one ever hated his own, body, own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So he's talking about one flesh and, and uh, husbands and wives. He's talking about one flesh with Christ and His bride were members of the same body. Genesis 2.24 is in His mind. And then, after that three verses I read, He quotes it. So it moves from the, from the implicit to the explicit. Verse 31, now He quotes it, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then He adds, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Whoa, Paul, I always thought it just referred to human marriage. But you mean you're telling me it not only refers to divine marriage, it refers primarily to divine marriage. That's primarily what God has in mind. And in fact, with every single human marriage, every time a husband 
a, a, a fiance and a, every time the couple engaged uh, stands at the front and guys like me pronounce them husband and wife, what that is about is a picture of Christ loving the church. And every day of our marriage is to be about that. That's, I mean, how sacred is human marriage if it is the reflection on this planet of the way God loves His people? And how important is that? One writer said, if the Bible is telling us the truth about reality, then the universe we live in was created primarily with marital romance in mind. The heavens and the earth were created for the marriage of Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, 18 through 24, the marriage of Adam and Eve, 18 through 25, is the climactic part of two chapters building together, more and more reaching the crescendo, reflecting God. He goes on, he says, the new heavens and the new earth will be created for the marriage of Christ and His bride. The whole of cosmic reality exists as the venue for the eternal honeymoon of the perfect husband with the perfect bride in marital bliss forever and ever. You will be perfect one day. This is the breathtaking claim of the Bible. Human marriage has always been intended by God to serve as a prophetic whisper of the eternal marriage. That's what our marriage is about. It is a prophetic whisper of the eternal marriage. God's crazy in love with His people, with His bride. Now, Paul calls this in Ephesians 5 a mystery, or it could be translated secret. Now, when we think of the English word mystery or secret, we think about something that is too profound for us to understand. You know, we could think about how in the world could uh, God be one God in three persons, the Trinity. That's a mystery to us. We can't fully fathom it. That is not how the Greek word mysterion is used in the New Testament. This is the nuance of it. In the New Testament, the word mystery, don't think, I can't understand it. Think this. Think, it used to be hidden, now it's revealed. It's sort of like an open secret. It's a revealed secret. Used to be, it wasn't revealed that Genesis 2.24 is all about God's marriage to us. But now it's revealed. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. John Piper says the marriage union is a mystery because its deepest meaning has been concealed by God during the Old Testament history, but is now being openly revealed by the apostle that marriage is an image of Christ in the church. Tim Keller, more succinctly, says about mystery or secret. He says, this is the secret that the gospel of Jesus and marriage explain one another. That when God invented marriage, He already had the saving work of Christ in mind. So every marriage is to point to the gospel that God loved us so much He sent His Son to die for, sacrificial love. They explain each other. Now, church, you just came to the deepest truth about marriage anywhere. This is the climax, the apex of, of Genesis 5, I mean of Ephesians 5, the longest passage in the New Testament on marriage. You just reached it. That our human marriage is ultimately about God's love relationship with us. And our, and our, our marriage ought to be a pointer, a reflection of that kind of love. Is, it not, uh, is that not a, a, what a sobering call to husbands and wives to love fervently with all we got? What a reminder of the 
of, of why divorce is so tragic. It's not just because it rips human hearts out of our chests, but it is because of the horrible misrepresentation of who God is. That he is the kind of God who would abandon and leave. Now, I know that there are biblical grounds for divorce, and there is no place here to uh, put people back into a, a, a mire of guilt. The grace of God, my sin was great, your love was greater, covers all of our sin. But from this point on, we understand that marriage is to depict the permanent love of God. And so the way the U.S. church treats divorce as an option, oh, what a, what a distortion that dishonors God. Changes everything. All righty. The first two verses of our passage went to the deepest depths of marriage. It is all about a reflection of God's marriage for us. We have really had three great truths in Ephesians 5. What, what I would say, three great truths. First of all, that the model for husbands loving their wives, by implication for wives loving their husbands, the model is Christ's love for the church, sacrificial love, love that went to a cross. So, put your spouse first, sacrifice. Her, her happiness, his happiness is more important than yours. So that's the first thing. The second thing was how he explained love, and here's the heart of it, in 25 through 27, it is really about transformation. If you really love your spouse, you're going to be most concerned that they grow in Christ, become a perfect bride one day. Thirdly, and, and most importantly, is this one, that marriage, every human marriage, is a pointer to God and His love for us. So that was the meaning of it. But then in the final verse, he turns very practical, and it goes back to human marriage. When he says in verse 33, he said, however, however, even though the heart of this is sacred romance, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And he, she, he kind of pulls together the twofold commands to wives and husbands. Now, he nuances them a little bit. This is the third time he has told the husbands in about 12 verses to love your wives. But the first time he said, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the second time he said, love your wife as you love your own body. You take care of your body. You feed it when it's hungry and that kind of thing. Take care of your body. The third time, our time, he says, love your wife as himself. Let him love his wife as himself. Love your wife as yourself. That's the second commandment, isn't it? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat that person like you would treat yourself, like you would want to be treated. Now, that is the charge for husbands to wives. Now, the charge to wives to husbands is also nuanced because he began by talking about wives submit to your husbands because he has the spiritual responsibility in the family. But here at the end, when he comes back to it, he doesn't use the word submit. He uses the word respect, which gives us the heart of it. Wives, respect your husbands. What's that mean? Well, that would mean uh, you honor him, you support him, you believe in him, you get behind him. Wives, respect your husbands. Notice that he doesn't say, husbands, 
love your wives if they are respecting you. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives if they deserve being loved. I mean, that is just ludicrous to us. We all know that's ridiculous. That is unconditional love. But the flip side is also unconditional. He doesn't say, wives, respect your husbands if he's loving you well. He doesn't say, wives, respect your husbands if he deserves it. He says, wives, respect your husbands. And you immediately think, well, maybe he's not respectable. Well, he may not be, but you can show respect in terms of your tone of voice and in terms of your believing. You can express respect. Uh, and, and, and in both cases, this is an unconditional call. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. This is God's call to us. You cannot do that on your own strength because that spouse is flawed and at times annoying and frustrating. So the only way we can do that is to draw strength from Christ, the resurrection power of Christ. You don't draw strength from your spouse. She can't help you do that. He can't help you do that. But Jesus Christ transforms human lives and can help us put the other one first, can help us forgive the other one, can help us uh, selflessly seek to meet the needs of the other one. Christ's strength, not ours. It is so fascinating to me to read a few years back of a 20-year study at the University of Washington, secular school. 20 years. Uh, one of our elders right there, Don McDonald, is a PhD researcher. He knows it. Man, that's a long study. 2,000 couples were involved. Not 12 couples, not 30 couples, 2,000 couples. This is a big study. And this is what they were studying, his team. They were studying, let's find the marriages that have lasted at least 20 years. What is, 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 is characterizes every one of those marriages? What, what can we isolate? And this is what they found. Tone of voice. He said there was something about the tone of voice. Isn't that interesting? Something as simple as that. Tone of voice. The power of words. And he said that th this is what we found on the tone of voice. He said we found it was some sort of a combination of love and respect. Just like God told us 2,000 years ago. Man, continually rediscovering the truths in that book. Let's give attention to the Word of God. Love and respect are vital in marriage, says secular research. Well, we knew that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, the, he says, uh, the opposite of love and respect is a tone of voice that shows contempt. He says that is the most corrosive thing in marriage. Okay, you're angry. You've got to show how angry you are. And maybe you cop a contemptuous tone and say things that you ought not to say. And that poisons marriage. And over a long time, that marriage dies if that goes on. Some of you need to get down on your knees today, confess that to God, and go to your spouse. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Who of us is free from that? 
When God says respect your husbands, by implication, husbands respect their wives, we're talking about we don't demean them. We don't, we believe in them. We support them. If you gossip to other women about your, your husband, you are flagrantly disobeying Holy Scripture. Let's call it what it is. We build up our spouses to other people. Show respect and honor. There's a remarkable example of that with a pastor in Los Angeles who died, I don't know, five, ten years ago. He's an incredible speaker, Dr. E.V. Hill. In Los Angeles, he came from Texas, by the way, great speaker, huge church. But when he was starting out his marriage, uh, small struggling church, and they were struggling financially. Well, his wife died, his wife Jane died of cancer before he died, and he did the funeral, which, something. And in the funeral, he came to this place and told a story from their early marriage that involves showing respect. He said, when we were struggling as a young couple, a young married couple, I came home one night after work, and the house was dark, and uh, my wife had a candlelight dinner for two, romantic dinner for two in there, and I thought, that was great. So he goes to the restroom to wash his hands, and when he was in there, he tried to turn on the light, and it didn't turn on. And then he went to the bedroom to turn on that light, it didn't turn on, and so he knows what is up. And he goes out to his wife, and she has to confess, you know, honey, I, I just didn't have, we just didn't have enough money to pay the electricity bill, but we're going to make it fine. We're going to make it fine. He said, that meant so much to me. Because she was raised in the home of a medical doctor, Dr. Carruthers. And she could have destroyed me. She could have said, in the home of Dr. Carruthers, we never had our electricity turned off. What's wrong with you? Get with it. He said, she could have crushed me. But oh no, she was protecting me and just honoring me. And we can do dinner by candlelight and we'll be fine. He said, that meant the world to me. Wives, do you see what respect means? It means in all kinds of ways, you don't tear down and belittle, but you build up and show respect. It has been said, every husband does what he does for the admiration of one woman. Husbands, is that not true? What Gail thinks about me matters 10 times more than what everybody else in the world thinks about me. God put that in me, and he put it in husbands. Wives, do not underestimate that, and do not abuse it. Wives, here's the bottom line for you and your responsibility. Show respect to your husbands. And husbands, to that woman that you love, you love her selflessly. For 37 years, Gail has been a superb wife to me. I know I started off saying in this series that we've been married 37 years and happily married 23 years, but she's been a superb wife. She has married to a difficult man. No false modesty in that, it's just the truth. We're both stubborn, both very different, both sinful, but I'm a difficult person to be married to. And I've told you that it was hard for a while, but 
the best trait for Gail, who is the superb wife that I need, just the right one for me, was that she lives out 533. She respects me. And this is what that means. She believes in me. She believes in me when I don't believe myself. She uh, has confidence in me. I can remember uh, my, the nadir low point of my ministry. It happened in 1993. I'd gone through four very hard years in ministry, and I'd lost my confidence. I'd lost my confidence as a preacher, and I'd lost my confidence as a pastor. By the way, it was about the time we were starting Woods Edge, so I kind of starting this church with no confidence. <laughs> That's good. It's of God, not, not me. But I lost confidence in myself, but Gail never lost confidence in me. Never. And because she believed in me, I could believe in myself. Wives, husbands need that. And they do. Um, and I am so grateful uh, for the way Gail has been a wife to me. What if for the next 30 days to December 12th, if every husband here would raise the bar in loving your wife? I mean, you're going to love her? Not, not, nothing heroic or dramatic, just consistently uh, put her ahead of yourself. What if for the next 30 days, every wife here would show this kind of respect and honor for her husbands? Uh, what might God do in reflecting ultimately His glory and reflecting to a broken society what marriage really ought to look like? What might He do? I've talked openly during this series about some of our struggles because of some of the challenges, differences, stubbornness, flawedness, etc., but we had a few things going for us that were crucial, and every married couple needs these things. If you're here this morning and you're single, and you might be married one day, you need these, you're going to need these things, and you don't know it yet, so just take it on faith from me. You're going to need them. But despite our challenges, we had endurance. And divorce was not an option for us. So when Gail and I butted heads pretty strongly, if, if that was just off the table, then we'd better work out things. And we'd better work through things because that wasn't an option. If it was an option, Gail would have divorced me after one year. Thank God we had endurance. Secondly, we were both fully devoted to Christ. I don't say we were both Christians and occasionally showed up at church on Sunday mornings. I'm saying we were both, and both equally, devoted to Christ, and that gave us the foundation that we had to have. If you're both not devoted to Christ, God help you when it comes to marriage. Thirdly, we had a dream that our marriage would not be just a good marriage but it would be a great marriage. That was our dream. Despite our struggles in God's sense of humor, our dream was a great marriage. And we were willing to work at it. We were willing to get help and seek counselors from time to time, other people, small groups, other people. We were willing to learn how to do conflict because we weren't very good at it, just like most of you are not very good at it. 
we were willing to learn how to do conflict, and we were willing to learn how to forgive almost on a daily basis, certainly a weekly basis. Now, church, if you want to have the marriage that deep down inside you long to have, you've got to have those things. You've got to have endurance, and divorce is not an option. You've got to have a marriage founded on devotion to Christ. And you've got to be willing to work at having a great marriage, whatever that entails. Gail and I, uh, took us a while, uh, but we are so thankful that we didn't give up too soon. And I'm so in love with her, and she's in love with me. And that is the kind of marriage that God, His heart is for every one of us, because ultimately, it's not just for your joy, it is for God's glory. Would you stand with me, please? Singles, if you're here for the first time in this marriage series, at some length, week one, I said, we do not believe that in the church, singles are second-class citizens. That is so unbiblical. You're not somehow incomplete. For heaven's sakes, Jesus himself was single. Paul was single. Uh, We are all complete in Christ, and we do not want to have a culture in any way that thinks, well, when you get married, then you'll be total. We don't believe that. Um, Many of you, you have a heart to get married one day. May God honor that heart for you. Some of you don't. Great. That's your calling super. But if you are married or if you'll one day be married... Don't give lip service to the Word of God. Give obedience. Glad obedience. It is for your good. Let me pray for you. Lord, would you bless every marriage at Wood's Edge? Would you strengthen every marriage? And, oh God, those marriages who are really struggling, I beg you, pierce hearts and bring breakthroughs to bring healing even if they're already divorced. We pray. Amen.